This episode of the Local Hustlers podcast is brought to you by Audible. If you're listening to this podcast right now, then I'm going to assume that you would also enjoy listening to audiobooks. Whether you're interested in business, history, comedy, science fiction, or romance, Audible has thousands of titles for you to choose from. We want you to try out Audible for free, so if you head to our link, you'll get a 30-day free trial and a free book. So go to audibletrial.com slash local hustlers podcast to redeem your trial today. Again, that's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, trial.com slash local hustlers podcast. You're listening to the Local Hustlers Podcast, East Valley Locals. Get connected with small businesses near you and dive deep into their stories, mindset, and motives. Entrepreneurs everywhere. Get ready to be inspired by business owners, entrepreneurs, and hustlers that you can relate to and learn from from and now your hosts Dallin Huso and Ridge Waldberg. Hello everybody welcome to another episode of the Local Hustlers podcast. This week we're super excited to be here with Julia Peixoto Peters um, who was born and raised on a coffee farming family in Brazil um, and who is now the owner of Peixoto Coffee which has been named one of the 50 best coffee shops in the world so congrats on that that's awesome. Um, How's it going today Julia? Thank you going really well thank you for having me here. Yeah, no, we're super excited to uh, not only hear about you in the business, but also to hear about your story. I know it's super unique and we're uh, super excited to dive into that. Um, so why don't you take a couple of minutes and just give us a little quick background on your life and your story? Sure. So it all started in Brazil. I was born and raised in Brazil and uh, I was born in a family of coffee farmers. Everyone on my paternal side of the family was a coffee farmer. My father my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my aunts and uncles, my cousins, like everyone had a foot at the farm in one one way or another. So that's all I knew. And I didn't really know how special it was at that time. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, when you're a child, you don't necessarily understand, you know, how unique certain things are. And you know, farming is what took me away from the things that I wanted to be doing right. on the weekends. I wanted to, you know, be traveling or visiting friends. And yet I had to go further into the countryside to be around the family and around, you know, coffee farming. So uh, I grew up with that. My family has uh, was always working really hard to produce this amazing coffee, the best coffee that they could produce. Uh, But what I saw was that when it was time to sell the coffee, there were always, not just my family, but all the farmers were at the mercy of the commodities market. You know, farmers knew nothing about uh, what their coffee was worth. They would just go to the buyers, the brokers of coffee, and Uh would tender the entire crop, uh, not really in a position to negotiate the price of their crop. So uh, I didn't know why it was done that way, but it didn't seem fair to me that farmers would give their lives and then not be compensated enough for their product. So I don't know how much you know about the commodities market, but really has nothing to do with the the quality of the product or, you know, how much it costs to produce the product. It has Mm -hmm. everything to do with market oscillation, speculation, uh, too much supply, not enough demand, or vice versa, Mm. and and really nothing to do with the product itself. Um, So that's the the backdrop of of where I was born and raised. I stayed in Brazil until I was 22 years old. Um, 
for my parents, it was really important that we pursued education because they, you, that's what they knew, mm -hmm. you know, those ups and downs of the market. Brazil was very unstable at that time. They had, you know, I, uh, the first 10 years of my life, it was a military dictatorship in Brazil. So, you know, the country was very close to trade and uh, to what is available to people. So for my parents, you know, they knew that education was a sure thing. Yeah. Anything else you could just lose overnight and and uh, not be able to count on. So they pushed us, me and my sisters, to go pursue higher education. Hmm. Uh, I went to law school in Brazil and I was always fascinated with foreign cultures and countries. Uh, always had this desire to go outside of the country at some point. So when I finished law school in Brazil, I applied to come to the U.S to do a graduate program uh, and I was accepted into the U of A in Tucson of all places. I knew nothing <laughs> about Arizona, uh -huh. <laughs> looked at the map and I saw some blue lines and I thought there was water flowing and <laughs> discovered when I got here was was just dried washes. Yeah, dry <laughs> water is long yeah. gone. Um, but yes, yeah, so I applied to go to uh, to study international trade law in Tucson and I got accepted. Um, I finished the program in Tucson and then I had an opportunity to stay in the country and apply for a job. So I did that. Um, I joined Deutsche Post DHL, the shipping company. Mm -hmm. uh, that was 2003 and that's where I built my career um, for 13 years. Uh, I worked, I, I took a leave of absence to study for the bar exam. In California, took the bar exam, passed, and then I started practicing law for for DHL. So I practiced law for for almost thirteen years. Met my husband in that process. We got married, had two beautiful kids. Really had a, um, a comfortable life that I didn't have to run away from. I had, you know, for those looking from the outside what seemed like a really nice life. I was yeah. traveling for work. I was, uh, you know, I was on a, uh, on, a, on a fast track to grow with the company. I had been promoted many, many times. My husband was an aerospace engineer for a big aerospace company here in the Valley. Uh, so we had two very stable jobs. <laughs> we had a lot of you know, a cushy life, like we, you know, bought a nice house and we never had to worry about finances. Right. Um, but back in 2012, uh, when my grandfather passed away, I came to realize that my father was the last one of his family that had stuck with coffee. Everybody else had, because of those ups and downs of uh -huh. the market and the challenge, you know, had moved on or had lost everything and were not able to sustain the the agricultural side of, of the family tradition. And uh, it hit me, you know, was was something that I couldn't let go of that kept finding me that I had to do something with it. You know, I just I just felt this awakening in the moment that I had to do something with my family's coffee. I had no idea what it would be and really had no reason to go change my life upside down right. <laughs> to go pursue right. you know a passion and something that had been with my family for so long but I felt this calling that I could not I could not dismiss uh, that I had to keep my family's legacy in coffee alive and I had to 
you know, do it in a way that would make justice to the farmers, um, not just in my family, but also the families uh, in my region to be paid adequately for the product that they're giving their lives to produce, you know. Um, so, so that was my, my vision that I had. And I mean, it sounds a lot simpler, you know, if I walk you through the process <laughs> of making that decision and then taking steps in the direction of that vision. But it was a long process of, of one, convincing myself that it was the right thing to do, right? To make that change, to take yeah. that leap of faith. Uh, to, to convince my husband <laughs> that it was the right thing for our family because, of course, it involved a lot of risks, right? I mean, we had two kids. There were toddlers at that time. Uh, it meant that we're living not one, but two, you know, very stable careers to go pursue this crazy dream that I had. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it was a long process, a lot of... Uh, late nights brainstorming and thinking of what we would do with this idea and then you know we uh, the more we talked about it we decided that uh, that at our core we wanted to keep peixoto to coffee as peixoto to coffee we didn't want to you know just sell the, the agricultural product and then have other roasters slap a label and call it, you know, ABC Co. coffee right, or right. something else that really didn't preserve the legacy of the family. So we decided if we're going to do this, we're going to take it from the farm straight to where it's consumed. And why are we eliminating this middleman in the process that, you know, normally touch the supply chain, but don't necessarily add value to the mm -hmm. product. But, you know, when you look at how coffee has been traded historically all these people are making money and the farmer is being paid you know a Pennies. negligible Pennies, yeah. amount for the product that they risk so much for so we wanted to change that equity of the game and put more money in the hands of the farmer and bring that coffee directly to where it's consumed it's so. a great story <laughs> it's a great story yeah, so, so that's how we got to pay show to coffee okay. as it is today. Yeah. But of course, there's a lot more to it. A lot to unpack. Yeah, we'll dig mm -hmm. in there. A couple of questions. So growing up on on the farm, uh, you had responsibilities then uh, to help your dad, help your grandpa, help your uncles in, in the coffee farming. Well, so let me clarify this. I didn't grow up in the farm. So our farm was nearby mm -hmm. and we went multiple times a week. Uh, but I grew up in a small town right. that is near the farm. So, yes. Yeah, so over the weekends, it was very common for us to go. We'd stay with our grandparents, with our families. And then my father would go to the farm and spend the day, you know, checking in the harvest or, you know, checking in with the with the folks there, seeing what was going on, what needed to be done. So, yes, it was a big, big part of our lives. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of most young kids don't enjoy hard work you know at the younger age um, and then later on they look back and reflect on that and it's a great uh, you know a great foundation that it creates for them sounds like you had some of that did you ever envision yourself in the coffee business as a child or is that like no that's something that I'm not gonna have anything to do with I did not and in fact you know my parents discouraged us from being involved in it because mm. you know the part that they know about coffee is the farming side which is like 
with any farming it's hard it's you know it's a lot of giving and very little taking i've never met a rich farmer and you know when you meet someone who's rich it's usually from something else and not from (laughs) the farming (laughs) right the farming is a on the side so uh so yes my parents didn't want that for us they wanted stable careers and that's why they pushed us in the direction of you know professional careers that we could rely on my mom's a very strong woman she always encouraged us to be independent and uh-huh. to have our own careers and not you know not have to rely on our husbands and spouses to to make a living so she always pushed us in that direction and my father you know when i told them that i was leaving my corporate uh, legal career to go work with coffee he said don't do it <laughs> he highly discouraged me if you're making this leap of faith yeah. because he you know from his experience he's known coffee to be very risky he's one thing that his mother always said and he repeated to me was that like in coffee you go to bed one night with many in your money in your bank account and you wake up with nothing next day you never know how the next day is going to be in coffee and i don't want that for you so that was one of the challenges that I had in the process too. Was like, should I l- listen to that? I feel so strongly about making it work in a way that my father doesn't know about. No. He doesn't, he hasn't experienced this side of coffee. Right. So had you not stepped in, what's the traditional path for the family farmer? Is it just getting bought out by big corporate coffee companies that are buying out the family farms that mm-hmm. uh, Peixoto is in Brazil? Would that yeah. have been the, the end result? Had you not come in? And, and That's one of the possible paths for, you know, if a farmer doesn't have someone to continue their path in, in coffee farming, typically, you know, sayo is an attractive option because then you can get money, right, for your property. And if your property is... Uh, fruitful like ours is you know it's covered the coffee trees that are highly productive uh then they can make more money that way with a sale than with having to maintain the practice so another common thing in brazil is for farmers to lease the land so they lease the land for someone who has you know multiple operations all over the area or that specific region and then you know, they pay you in numbers of bags of coffee harvested. Uh, so you have that sure commitment of receiving, I don't know, 200 bags of coffee a month or whatever it is. And you can count on that money, right? Depending on what the market is doing. So there's different options. But uh, but for me, you know, I wanted our fam- to, to stay in our family. Um my grandfather was a big figure in this region where he coined this whole area of Brazil, Boa Vista, which means beautiful view. And, uh, you know, portions of his farm are no longer in the family already. They have already been lost or sold, traded for, you know, more immediate needs that Mm -hmm. the families had. So, you know, I could see that already being lost in the, the family. So I wanted to preserve some of what we had in place uh, for the long haul so um, and that's how we we thought of creating the demand for the product here so that we can keep the farming side of things going in Brazil love it when it 
when it came to the farm, whether it was you, you know, working on the weekends or watching um, your dad and your grandpa work, did do you feel like you learned a lot about, you know, working hard, diligence, those sorts of traits that have helped you later on in life with your education and now opening up your own business? Yeah, I think that that certainly laid a really nice foundation. Like I'm a girl from the countryside. Yeah. I, you know, I that's that that's still a, a big part of me. You know, I love the land. I love nature. Love you know, hard work. I'm not afraid to work hard. And that's why, you know, when I consider I'm trading this cushy life, you know, where I'm traveling business class and, you know, staying in nice hotels for a life that is, that is unknown. I don't know what kind of work I'm going to have to do, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of times, yes, I need to wash dishes. I need to help clean and I'm, I'm okay. It's my, it's my business. It's my, it's one of my kids. The way I see is that, you know, it, it's, part of my family mm-hmm. and I'll do what it takes no matter what it is so certainly having come from those humble beginnings and origins have helped For framed sure. you know what I what I prioritize and what I what I want out of life uh-huh talk to us about so you went to, to law school in mm-hmm. Brazil to become a lawyer why did you decide to go down that path um, what have been some of the pros and cons of of, of starting off um, as a lawyer before going into being an entrepreneur? Yeah, so because of the background that I painted for you guys, mm-hmm. like growing up in Brazil and being so unstable yeah. economically, you know, uh, my parents pushing us to pursue professional careers, uh, there's a, a handful of careers that, you know, were certain mm-hmm. in that environment. And uh, being a lawyer was one of them. Being a doctor, being, you know, an yeah. engineer maybe was another one. So I chose to be a lawyer because it seemed like a very secure uh, job and, and career for someone. But I've, I've always been a creative person. Mm-hmm. I remember even like in my childhood, always having like, you know, an acute sense of creativity and, and wondering and imagination and, 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 and hoping that I would be able to somehow find, you know, a, a mash between the two. And, you know, a lot of times in my legal career, I felt it was very stifling and, yeah. you know, very boxed in, in sure. what I could do and how I could behave and how far I could stretch certain things. So, uh, so the legal career gave me a lot, you know, um, on this path. And I am grateful. I don't dismiss, you know, that choice at all. Honestly, if had that I made that choice, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Right. So it really at the time, you know, seemed like I was going in a, in one direction, but it was really just, you know, serving as, as a springboard to yeah. launch me into another direction. So, Having had that career, not only it brought me here, it enabled me to meet my husband. It enabled me to have this, you know, very stable job and career uh, that allowed me to have the means to make that choice mm-hmm. uh, later in life to relinquish certain things. And everything comes in two sides, right? You're always gaining something and then relinquishing something. It's it's a give and take yeah. in any decision in life. Uh-huh. But it positioned me to make that decision and know with certainty what I wanted versus, you know, what I had already lived behind me. That's cool. No, I like that you bring that up. We just talked about it on a recent episode, just how 
Um, it just depends on how you look at, at it. Cause you could have been like, Oh, I just wasted, you know, this many years of my life being a lawyer when that wasn't what I was meant to do. But if you didn't go down that path, it wouldn't have led you to where you are now. So just taking those opportunities that come in life doesn't end up meaning that that's where we're going to be for the rest of our life, but it can often lead us to places that we'd have no idea where it would, would take us. Absolutely. I always say like, there's such beauty in detours, yeah. right? We don't know at the time when you're taking the long road or, you know, when you feel like you're lost doing something that sucks your soul, that, you know, doesn't give you that level of gratification or even financial compensation, mm-hmm. right? That we can't see why am I doing what I'm doing? There's always a comeback. And I yeah. think that if you can appreciate that detour, then you will, you know, you appreciate where you land after the detour. And I think it's a, it's really a mindset. For sure. Appreciating the detours. I like that. Um, I'm curious to kind of hear, you know, where you were at in your head when you, when you first came up with, with the thought that, Hey, I want to do something with, with the coffee farm. Um, and how long of a process was that? Was that a, a, an internal battle and a struggle to, to make that decision to leave your job? Was it a fast decision or did it take a, a certain amount of time to decide that that's what you wanted to do? It was a process. So, um, yes, nothing happens overnight and especially, you know, big decisions, big leaps of faith. I mean, you know, it's always easier to look back. And Mm -hmm. when you tell the story, people think like, oh, it all happened so fast for her. It just worked out great. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She lucked out, right? I mean, we all hear that those kinds of things. Like she was in the right place at the right time. It's like, not so quick. There is a lot of, (laughs) Uh a lot of internal struggles that went into it and still do on a a daily basis. Um, Yes, I mean, that decision didn't come lightly to us. I mean, we're leaving behind a lot of things. We're leaving behind you know what others like including my parents would say like but anyone wants to have the life you have you know (laughs) everyone wants that that kind of uh that kind of pay you have that kind of lifestyle you have but but you know it didn't give me what my purpose my soul was (laughs) calling for so i knew in my core i was doing the right thing like i never hesitated or like when I heard people question my decision, like it didn't push me back in uh-huh. in questioning myself. Like I always felt very sure-footed and where I was. But of course, like there was a, a process uh, that had to unfold and things take time, right? So even when I started Peixoto, so we started Peixoto in January of 2015. Okay. I didn't quit my job until 2016. Okay. So I kept my job for a year and a half after opening because I had benefits. I had, you know, I had a paycheck every two weeks. So I had to build a structure, build uh, people, you know, to be able to to run the business. And I was really working two jobs at that uh-huh. time. I was, you know, working full time as a lawyer and then I would go in and check in and have my meetings and you know set the stage for for the week with my employees but I've had great people in my path and that's where I you know uh, I feel like there's um, when when there's alignment with your purpose then you will find those people that are going to to join you yeah in your mission and will help you mm-hmm. get there so we've always had great people that 
rally around us and my husband was a big part of it as okay. well he actually quit his job before i did it <laughs> <laughs> was not the plan but <laughs> he wanted he was he was a roaster at the time so he was with his engineering background he was roasting the coffee for us at the time so he was needed in the physical space of the uh-huh. business more so than i was i could do what i right what i had to do in the background Behind so the um so yeah so that was again another detour that worked out mm-hmm. uh in the end but yeah it's a it was a long journey and, and, and looking back is that uh, do you recommend how you did it where you kept your job as an attorney and started the business or looking back you think uh that you would have been better served to just jump all in all at once and do it uh, what would be your advice for somebody who has an idea right now in their head but they have this career that pays well has benefits etc mm-hmm. in terms of easing in doing both at the same time as opposed to just going all in mm-hmm. with their idea well i don't think there's a right or wrong i think that it depends on the circumstances uh, in my case we had two young children and uh, we, you know, we wanted to build the business on our own without bringing in outside investment. So, yeah. so having that regular paycheck come in for a year and a half was certainly helpful in helping us achieve that goal, right? So I'm always a big picture person. If it helps me with the big picture, the short term, you know, short term uh, pain that you may need to go through of having two jobs and and uh you know working crazy hours and giving to so many people that need you in so many different Mm -hmm. directions i think it's worth uh so as long as it helps you with that big picture vision i think that i think there's nothing wrong with that a lot of times people can have internal struggles with that and i got to that point as well where i felt like i want to be in my business i created this yeah this incredible business that is amazing everyone loves my place and everyone's hanging out there all day long except for me (laughs) i can't be there uh you know as as uh as other people can so at some point and more so than that was was even like i i want to use all this time and energy that i have to put into my business so i felt very ready to channel all this energy into my business versus having to split mm-hmm. into different directions. So, uh, but that moment came and I felt ready. And then I felt, you know, it's yet another leap because first one was starting the business. We put all our savings into the business to get started and they had no idea how well it was going to be received. Second one was actually leaving the job. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a series of leaps, right? That you make on behalf. And those are not the last leaps that we've taken. We've taken many other leaps since. So it's a, it's a constant dance of, you know, of stopping for a moment and then leaping forward. Mm-hmm. It's, it never ends. Did you have, before getting started, do you have a set timeline as in like when you were going to leave your job and jump in full time? Or was it going to be like, you know, once we reach a certain amount of revenue or once we're this busy, like what was the deciding factor for you when you knew that it was the the best time to leave your job and jump in full time? Yeah. And I think that, you know, uh, part of our business plan, we looked a lot into numbers and uh-huh. figuring out what the revenue had to be for both of us to leave our jobs. And the uh, 
uh, the the truth is that I mean our business was wildly popular from the moment we opened our doors and we hoped for that but we didn't know that that would be the case right I mean we had no experience in the industry we're coming from yeah. the outside so we hoped for that didn't know how it was going to be uh, we blew our projections out of the water in both directions so when you sell a lot more you need to bring in a lot right. more people a lot more help a lot more resources as well so it, it kept changing right i mean i thought i could leave in three to four months and then wow we brought a lot more in but we have a lot more expenses now because right. you know we started with three four employees and then we we were at 12 employees wow. so so uh so yes it kept you know becoming uh, an elusive goal to work towards and that's why i was able to to do within a year year and a half i mm-hmm. think it was more like a year and a half uh after we opened uh so so yes it didn't happen according to plan it right. was more of uh, just assessing yeah. the situation and it's okay to do that and make those adjustments along mm-hmm. the way right absolutely awesome. yeah i mean you have to <laughs> there's yeah. no other way do you spend more time cleaning your pool than you spend swimming in it and call flamingo pools today flamingo pools is your go-to swimming pool maintenance and repair company in the East Valley. Whether it's weekly maintenance, repairs, green to cleans, or one-time cleanings, Flamingo Pools will take care of you. Honest, reliable, and innovative. Just a few of the many good things Flamingo Pools customers have to say about them. Ask them about their mineral treatment, which will keep your chemical levels down, allowing you to have a healthier bathing experience. At Flamingo Pools, they know that your pool was made to be enjoyed, so let them handle the rest. Check them out at azflamingopools.com or give them a call at 480-422-6013. Mention this podcast and you'll get your first month of maintenance completely free. That's azflamingopools.com and 480-422-6013. Well, tell us about the the process of getting started in terms of, you know, research. Is there a lot of license and and permits that you have to do for a a business like this? Um, Just the hiring process of just getting everything ready for opening day. What was that like? Yeah, um, so a lot of research went into it. My husband is an engineer, so he likes to cross all the T's and dot Uh all the I's and not willing to commit until he he can see you yeah. know that the numbers work so so there's a lot of research that went into it but like i said we're coming from the outside we didn't have any experience on food and beverage and coffee right. shop and retail anything uh there's a couple of um aspects to our business which are important for me to mention so we had the retail side of the business which mm-hmm. is the shop right we also have the wholesale side of the business which happens on the background where we roast in larger quantities and deliver coffee to local businesses as well so uh big and small local businesses and then we have the e-commerce uh side of our business as well so it's almost like having three different yeah, yeah lines of business right working in parallel so there's completely different research that went into each of those aspects we started with retail but then people started asking us to buy our coffee wholesale right Mm -hmm. off the bat and we you know we couldn't say no to that that really was our ticket to you know us being free to quit the job to Mm -hmm. you know grow the business so we we kept taking you know those wholesale requests and roasting front or coffee shop which 
I, I don't know if if you have been to the shop, but it's a very small space. It's okay. only 1,400 square feet, right? And we're doing production out of there. And then eventually we had to move that somewhere else. So we now have a bigger production space. But uh, uh, but yes, yeah, it was just a very fast pace of pace of growing and. Uh, and finding the right people for the job, you know, minute yeah. to minute as we're growing. So we haven't really stopped mm -hmm. until the pandemic hit. And, you know, it just felt like a really fast pace of of living, of of growing the business for the first five years when the pandemic came. And then we we're like, okay, <laughs> that's a, it's another story. Yeah, yeah. We'll jump into the pandemic in a little bit, but... With the decision to, to wholesale your coffee, do you re allow private label or do you want to maintain that Peixoto brand and, and name recognition as you wholesale? That's a really good question. So it is our preference mm -hmm. to sell Peixoto coffee as Peixoto coffee because we have a lot of a lot of skin in this game, yeah. right? I mean, a lot of people start a business when you put your name on the wall and such a unique name, right, that people mm -hmm. recognize you for, it becomes like a really high bar for you yeah. to maintain and uh, so we put in a lot of a lot of effort into building this brand that is special to coffee yeah. uh, maintaining the quality of the product right and uh, we started with zero followers zero customers about this huge network of people that come and buy our coffee drink our coffee order our coffee online so we want to maintain that i'm very careful with our brand with our partnerships i feel like there has to be a synergy mm -hmm. and you know an alignment a vision for for it to be successful for both sides right, right? otherwise um so we do some white labeling that's what it's called in the industry but uh, but, uh, you know, we feel like we can help people more when we put our name on the coffee because it becomes truly a partnership and win-win. Like, it's good for you, it's good for us. Like, we will partner very closely with our wholesale partners in a level that it's really hard to find in our industry uh, because we want them to succeed. They're carrying our name, our family name. So mm -hmm. I want them to be as successful as we are. Uh, so that tends to work better for us, but that's not to say that we wouldn't consider a white labeling situation. Right. What is the process from, you know, the coffee bean from the farm to get to you guys? What's kind of like that whole process of, of how that works? It's a very long journey from farm, from crop to crop, uh -huh. like I say. Uh, so coffee is a plant, it's a tree, and it's a fruit. It's a, it's a cherry, right? So coffee in its natural form is a cherry. And what we drink are the seeds inside of the cherries that get dried and then roasted. So we're dealing with fresh fruit at the farm level. Okay. Uh, so coffee is a, an annual plant. It only blossoms and, and bears fruit once a year so harvest happens once a year for us um in, in our case in brazil it's between june and august so we've always you know part of our mission as a business was to be a part of this harvest season be there with my family harvesting coffee helping them and then choosing the lots of coffee that we want to bring in to the u.s and yeah. we've done that every year except for last year 2020 um but so that's the harvest season so coffee is 
is heavy, it's sticky, it's really temperamental to produce. You can lose entire crops if you don't process it right once it's once you're drying your coffee. So because we started with fresh fruit, you need to dry it to a point where it's stable, right? So that it can be exported, it can be bagged and stay uh, unperished for for a year until the next harvest comes in. So um, so harvest is about a three month process and then we choose our lots of coffee. And from the beginning, we've always wanted to to bring it directly, right? Without relying on this middleman yeah. uh, in the process. So we started small. We brought in a hundred bags of coffee, had no idea how much how our consumption is going to be. Mm-hmm. And then next year we increased almost threefold what we brought in. And then year three, we increased sixfold and it just kept growing, you know, the volume of coffees that we were bringing in. And in 2018, we became importers of coffee as well. So it was the last piece that was still in place where we're relying on a third party to do the importation for Uh us. We became importers. So we have achieved what I like to call vertical integration, right? In our model where uh, coffee is produced by my family, it's imported by the Peixoto family, it arrives here 30 days after being on the water on a boat, the containers arrive here uh, at our warehouse in Chandler, we break the CO of the container, unload the bags of coffee, roast our coffees, and then distribute to our shop or to other places where the coffee is going to be consumed. So it's monumental, the effort. It's like it. we're dealing with governments, we're dealing with ocean vessels, right? And bookings that are not always available yeah. and timely. And we're dealing with, you know, the, the, the harvest being ready on time, being to the quality that we want. There's so many unknowns, so many variables in the process. Mm-hmm. So from the moment that coffee's harvested and the coffee gets here, it's about four months. Wow. And that's when most people in our industry roasters would start the process right they get a hold of a coffee that is already here they start roasting that's where they start the gotcha. work for us we feel like 80 percent of our work is done <laughs> by the that, time it yeah. gets here so we're just pushing to the finish line uh-huh. once it gets here wow now from a financial standpoint is it is it cheaper to do it all in-house or does it cost you guys a lot more money to to go through that entire process? Whereas, you know, another co- company said they just start with the roasting. So 80% of the work has already been done for them. What's mm-hmm. what's the financial aspect like there? Uh, so because of our model where, you know, the idea is that because we flip the supply chain right, uh-huh. from being horizontal to being vertical, there are savings that yeah. happen in the process, right? We don't have to pay these people to flip the coffee, essentially. That's what they do. They buy very low and then they flip for mm-hmm. a profit. So we don't have to pay these people to do that. So there are savings that are that are derived in the process. So we our mission is to put the money in the hands of the farmer so that they can improve their farming practices. They can invest in equipment, they can invest in labor, they can, you know, build more sustainable practices. Yeah. So year after year, and that's one of, you know, uh, one of the critical things of our model is to send money back to the farm so that they can invest in better coffees and you know better practices and be compensated for all the risks that they undertake in producing coffee. So like I said, you can lose your entire crop 
if they're, the rains come at the wrong time, right? Because they're completely reliant on the weather for harvesting and drying our coffees. So they can lose entire crops. There's theft. There's diseases that can, you know, wipe entire areas, entire farms of coffee if the farmers don't do the right thing. So we believe that farmers deserve the money so that they can... Yeah you know, minimize the risks of production. And at the same time, we bring a coffee that is, you know, the highest quality that we can produce from mm -hmm. our family farm and that normally would be sold for higher here for a competitive price. So right. what we have in our hands, is, you know, and what we sell to our partners or wholesale partners and at the shop is a really high quality coffee that would normally cost more in other places, wow. but that we bring to our market at a reasonable price. That's awesome. Do your customers know that that you guys go through that whole process yourself? Like from a marketing standpoint, is that something that they like to see how you're supporting the farmers? Or is it more about because you do it all yourself, like that there is a better quality taste and they just know that, they don't know why, but they just know that it tastes better and that's why you have so many you know followers and supporters? We would like everyone to know <laughs> why, you know, why, our, our why, why we're mm -hmm. here. And because that's, you know, to us, our whys, why we did yeah. what we did, right? Why we left those those stable jobs, right? To to keep this legacy alive and right. do something that hadn't been done before. So I would like everyone to know, but the reality is that it's really hard to reach everyone in that short interaction. Some people want the story. Some people just want a quick cup of coffee and for sure. like no don't have time for that <laughs> so i mean we have that yeah. we can serve quick coffee delicious coffee uh -huh. and some people come back because of the taste of the coffee because of the friendliness of our baristas and our space it's beautiful so there's so many reasons why people come we would like people to to know the story i think it would give them an extra reason you know to to keep coming back and mm -hmm. that's usually you know what people tell us like you guys are so different than everybody else you're what you do is so unique i think that we are in a moment in time in as you know in arizona and in, in the food and beverage scene where people are craving they want to know where products come from yeah. and and I want people to be questioning because I think there's a lot of like layers of marketing sometimes that are really hard to penetrate and really understand, right? It's not just putting a, a cute label on a product. There's more to it. There's like, who's the farmer? How much was mm -hmm. he paid? Mm -hmm. You know, or where is this product from? What quality it is? So there's so much more information that that is underneath. So I think people are starting to question that and uh, expect. Yeah that you know about the product that you're serving right. versus just, you know, making a cute drink or selling a, a product that is visually pleasing. For sure. I love your commitment to the farmer. Uh, farming is challenging. Uh, our family comes from a farming background and it is challenging. You are subject to nature. So many times the things that are out of your control, uh, you mentioned rainfall or lack of rainfall, temperatures changing, you know, disease coming in, etc. Um, and I really love that you uh, invest back in, in the farmer and, and give them a reward for their work. Um, my question is, what are some specific things? Like there, there are things that are out of your control, like climate and temperature, location, like being where you're at in Boa Vista, I think that's what you call that's it. That's right. Uh, you know, 
you can't just duplicate that in Chandler, Arizona and grow your coffee farm here, right? So there are things that are out of your control, such as location there in Brazil. What are some things in your control that, that farming can influence the flavor profile of the coffee bean that really sets you apart? That's a very good question <laughs> and something that we work really hard for as well. So, um, so coffee being an agricultural product, right? Being a fruit, we've all experienced this. There's sometimes you eat a banana and it tastes like nothing. Sometimes you eat a banana and it's juicy and it's like, mm-hmm. wow, it's the best banana I've ever mm-hmm. eaten. So, so fruit is a living thing, right? And coffee is no different. Coffee is a living, breathing product. So uh, because of, of the, the, where it's grown, the coffee needs certain elevation, right, to be grown. You can grow coffee close to the sea level, but it's not going to taste any good, right? So in order for coffee to mature in a certain way and pack all those flavors that we want to taste in coffee, um, it's important to ensure certain growing conditions. So elevation is one of them. Uh, latitude where you are in relation to the equator is very important we are below the tropic of capricorn in brazil so we you know we have those seasons like our we're not close to the equator where it's always hot and humid we have wet seasons and then we have dry seasons in brazil as well and rain patterns so important how much the fruit develops and the seed develops is largely dependent on on the rain patterns that you receive so having rain at the right time is critical to the full development of the cherry and development of the flavors as well then once you harvest and there's a number of ways that you can uh, influence the flavor profile of coffee so coffee even more so than wine has a lot of different chemical compounds right and acidities and sweetness compounds that can that can um that can come together in different ways so there's endless ways for a coffee uh flavor notes and profiles to come together in the cup so farmers can influence the the flavor notes of the coffee by the way they harvest by the way they process coffee by the way they ferment coffee so for coffee like cacao is always fermented Right, so the fermentation process is what releases the seed from the fruit, and the fermentation process can set the coffee in one direction of wonderful complexities. Like you know, once you start to get into coffee, you start to note uh, notice acidities. Like there's berry acidity, there's citrus acidity, there's um, uh, stone fruit acidity. So you can start to pick on these notes in a large uh, or or one one of the main ways to influence those uh, the flavor profile of the coffee is through the fermentation and processing that happens after harvest. So we put a lot of emphasis in that as well at our farm. Uh, Brazil historically was known for quantities of coffee and not necessarily the quality of the coffee and the coffee now in you know specialty industry people want to taste unique notes right mm-hmm. that showcase where the coffee is from what kind of uh, varietal it is what kind of cherry it is what kind of what kind of uh, processing was applied to the coffee so we we work with 
with my family to develop certain flavor profiles that we want our coffee to have. So we always want one big lot of like very easy to drink, smooth and sweet chocolate notes, coffees. And that's our familia. Uh, we call our familia is our, our, you know, our main lot of coffee that um, is our best seller at the shop. And then we have our honey process where we depulp the cherries and then the seeds dry with the pulp around. So it imparts some sweetness, but it also imparts a lot of clarity in the notes that you pick on that coffee. So that's another coffee we have. And then we have highly experimental lots that we do in very small quantities. And those coffees we go pretty wild on those my husband you know brings in his scientific mind and engineering background to to develop some fermentation experiments that we want to do with those coffees and we've had coffees that have drank really high on the specialty scale because of those uh, complexities that we're able to bring out so it's really incredible to see like how you yeah. can bring out different flavors on the same fruit Right, depending on how you treat mm-hmm. that after it's harvested. And that was my next question because it sounds like there's so many steps to the process. So there's so many things that you could tweak to change the flavor. So it sounds like you guys do a lot of experimenting to test out, you know, slightly different flavors and notes here and there. That sounds like, is that is that a fun part of the process for you guys? It is, yes. It's really fun. We're not able to do in 2020. But like I said, we had been building up yeah. year after year you know, uh, these experiments to see like, okay, now we know what role uh, this type of, of microorganism plays uh-huh. in coffee because coffee always has microorganisms that are for helping the fermentation, right. you know, being a fruit. So, so then we build upon that the next year. So nothing comes fast because it's a, it's a nearly process. It requires a lot of patience, right? Because it's just the cycle of nature, yeah. but uh, we've been building upon those experimentations uh, year after year. That's awesome. Um, I'm curious to hear in terms of you know marketing and, and finding customers, what are, what are some things you guys have done to, to attract customers, especially starting off, like when people don't know about you and don't know who you are, what do you do to get people to come into the shop and, and try it for the first time? Okay, um, we haven't done that <laughs> in a long time. Uh, I'm, I'm setting pandemic aside right. for for the purpose of this this answer we can talk about that later but um you know from the beginning like i said people were so hungry for a coffee experience in our community so we, we came to downtown chandler right that's where our shop is mm-hmm. we live just down the street that is our community my husband and i wanted to be where we call home where yeah. we you know where we take our kids out for dinner to to open our shop so um so people just came to us and um you know from the beginning we relied a lot on like social media to build our name to build our brand um never really paid for marketing on social media because of the industry we're in i right. feel like in the food and beverage it can be tricky to pay right because it can look uh inauthentic Mm -hmm. or you know just um i don't know um not genuine in your message right Mm -hmm. if you have those sponsored posts hitting you all the time so we've always uh you know and this is one area that i have responsibility for which is marketing uh we've always chosen to let's make this experience the best we can and that's how we that's how we market Right, it's by offering something that that is not done anywhere else. We're always pushing the boundaries on 
the types of drinks that we serve yeah. right that you know are only here for a short while and you know let's let's offer an exceptional experience when people are here in terms of the quality of the beverage in terms of the uniqueness of uh, of the experience that we offer the space the quality of service that we have in our space with our baristas who are really the ones carrying that story day to day and um and and you know leaving the Peixoto vision so so that has been our choice to just put you know those dollars into the experience itself versus setting it aside for marketing uh-huh. which may or may not come back to us yeah. so we've built the the network of customers we have organically and we still get people every day that walk through our doors and say oh it's my first time here and it's like wow really okay <laughs> <laughs> welcome in and we're always excited to share this story that's cool and when it comes to customers and competition i guess what's your view on that because there's always some very you know big brand well-known coffee shops um do you feel like you're you're fighting for those those customers or do you feel like you offer such a different and unique product compared to some of the bigger you know retail chain coffee places that it's uh, completely different customers that are going there versus coming to you guys yes i think that you know we shouldn't be worried about the small competition right uh-huh. uh, like the smaller shops independent shops i think right. that our competition really is you know the big names because there's so many untapped customers that don't even know uh about you or don't even know that their experience could be so much better you know their coffee could taste so much more pure than what it does and what they're really tasting sugar and not you know (laughs) the flavor notes in this in this beautiful beverage so so that should be and it is the the competition there's a lot of people still to to be converted Uh to know right about that uh, but there's a there's a lot of new shops. There's a lot of um, a lot of um, you know independently owned coffee shops, and I think there's room for everyone. And yeah. you know, I believe that people are gonna drink coffee in different places, and they should. If you're on one part of town, you drink coffee where you are. I think that you know people uh, that really want the Peixoto experience, they'll come to us. They'll they'll come back every so often and and patronize us, I feel like there's enough people. I think that the key is really focusing on teaching people, education, so that they can understand the differential of specialty coffee and and coffees that honor the farmers, uh, that honor the origin of the coffee versus just, you know, just serving a cup of coffee. So I think that that should be the focus of our industry as a specialty coffee industry uh-huh. i love that mindset um well we've we've talked about the pandemic a couple of times so i do want to quickly dive into that before we have to close up and you know just in my head i imagine people go to a coffee shop for coffee just as much as they go for you know the interaction and it, it's sort of a hangout place and a place to meet up so i'm imagining that um covid had some sort of impact on you guys in that way so i'm just curious to hear you know what what sort of positive or negative impact COVID has had on you guys as a business and what you guys have done since then mm-hmm. to, to pivot? Yeah, so COVID has had a huge impact on us. Um, we were closed for eight months wow. last year, so we had to pivot very quickly and you know bring up a website where people could order online and pick up in front of our shop. We have an alleyway right next to our shop, and that was a lifesaver. We created this curbside 
pickup model where you know people meet us in the alley and <laughs> bring the goods <laughs> to the alley but not inside of our shop so um so yeah we had to adapt uh very quickly and we did our customers i mean at that point you know we were concerned of what was yet to come and uh-huh. our customers showed up so strongly for us we had you know like um buy three bags add one free buy four get two free and you know people really stocked up on bags and you know came and bought huge volumes of things to support us and to keep us in business and it was so humbling to see that you know that all that work for five years really really uh build something that can endure uh the ups and downs of of life of business ownership and I I believe that you know that was that was a, probably the biggest challenge that we faced and anybody else in business if if you have been in business long enough where you have built something and then something like this so unexpected comes that will that has been our biggest challenge but I also believe it has been our biggest lesson in in adaptability in resilience in you know, in community. So I think that we're coming out of it stronger yeah. than we could ever imagine. Um, and we're starting to see some of that, right? So we stayed closed. We reopened in, in November. We're still partially open. Like we're not back to where we were before. Mm-hmm. But uh, our sales, our customers continue to show up daily and support us very strongly. So we were, we're geared geared to to come out of it very soon and, and and be stronger than we were before yeah that's awesome and it sounds like a lot of that has to do with with the the support of your customers and they've you know since you've been loyal to them for so long and now when when businesses are being hurt it sounds like they've you kind of returned the favor and been loyal to you guys throughout this whole process absolutely yeah yeah there's definitely a relationship yeah there in place uh-huh. that is foundational to this and uh Yes, I mean, when we put out, you know, call to actions and, and we saw some of that throughout the pandemic, like we were closed. So we decided, why not brew coffee and take to the hospitals, right? Where all these nurses are working extremely long hours, are doing heroic efforts to to see all the patients that are coming in. So we brewed gallons and gallons, dozens of gallons of coffee and donated to hospitals. So like every time we come out and say hey we need your help to achieve this goal of helping our community people come strongly for mm-hmm. us right they they show their support so so unconditionally <laughs> so we've built a really good um two-way relationship that yes we're there for them we continue to serve through uh-huh. the toughest times and you know uh, we heard people say like wow your coffee kept me alive <laughs> during the last year your awesome. coffee kept me going the days that i didn't want to leave bad you know and had no motivation to do anything in my life and those moments are really you know Ooh. that that's why you're in business it's the why yes it's when it's how it's the impact you have on people's lives and uh, whether it's you know our customers here on this side of the hemisphere whether it's the farmers at the you know at at our farm or neighboring farmers that say you know i've never been paid this much for my coffee my whole life you know you see this 80 year old man say this is the first time that i I have some extra to invest on something else, right? Or to 
to buy a better truck. <laughs> so it's the, it's the impact at the end of the day that really makes it all worthwhile in business. No, that's great. Uh, in terms of the flavor profiles, we spent a lot of time on that. And uh, people come to a shop not only for the taste, but also for the social experience that we've talked about. What do you do to um, help your baristas really understand what the Peixoto legacy is so that they represent that? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so um, from the beginning, we didn't want to have to be a place where people come and go quickly or for home, this is just a job, right? We've always wanted then to find a place where they feel supported, where they feel they can grow if they want to, where they feel like they're treated with integrity, that they have, you know, that they're doing something that is important. They're not just making a cup of coffee. Yeah. They're, you know, they're touching people's lives. They're serving something that, you know, could be the reason why someone got out of bed on that day. So, so there's a, it, it's a cultural thing that we have. And, you know, some people will come and won't, won't be a good fit and that's okay. You know, we can't be for everyone and not everyone can be for us also. I think that it's one of the hard lessons in business, right? Yeah. It's just knowing uh, what's for you and what's not. Uh, but the people who ha- who are with us and who have stayed with us, I have employees who have been there since we opened our doors six years ago, which is very unusual in in food and beverage. Wow. Uh, we, I mean, we treat them as they're part of our family. We call them our familia. Uh, we've done that for six years. We invest in them, and it's you know it's a constant it's a constant uh, choice. Everything is. Tr- our choices in life, right? When we have uh, a little extra money as a business, we decided, well, we want to pay health insurance to our people because we want them to to be able to live without fear of, you know, what if I have to go to the doctor and don't don't have savings to yeah. pay for a treatment, so we paid for health insurance or. Um, and this is a, a kind of a long conversation. I don't know if you want to get into that, but like last year when I saw the the writing on the wall of the pandemic, both Jeff and I removed ourselves financially from the business. Jeff is still doing consulting work, my husband, for the company that he worked for before. I did that for seven months last year because we wanted to keep everyone employed. We didn't, we didn't let go anyone in our business. So in everything that we do, we want to build something that is here for the long run. We're building a team, a business, a culture for legacy and not just for short-term um, rewards. So I that's, think that... That's true familia. True familia, yeah. yes. So it's yeah. something we worked really hard for from the beginning because we want people to feel like they belong. It's not my family farm. When they tell the story, they say, oh, this coffee comes from, from our family farm. It's their family farm as well. That's the... That's where the coffee comes from. They are Peixoto, we, you know, and it's not just a slogan. We, we, we live and breathe those values um, with everything that we do on a day-to-day basis. And I think that that carries through the customer experience as well. Wow. Yeah, people talk about, you know, treating employees as family, but that is, that's taking action on treating Literally. employees as family. <laughs> and I'm sure that um, comes around so much in terms of the way that they, they treat their job and the importance that they feel 
um, when they're working and how that's passed on to the customers then. Um, and so things like that, that seem like a cost, like, like providing health insurance for them. I think it probably ends up having a financial benefit for you guys anyways, in terms of, you know, how happy they are, how happy the customers are. And then also not having the turnover, the employee turnover mm-hmm. that otherwise you'd have if they didn't feel like they were being taken care of and cared for. So it's awesome to see that you guys are, are doing that and really taking care of your people like that. Yeah, we don't really know how to do any differently. It's just, you know, part of because of the foundation of the business. We're building this for not for, um, you know, to sell out five, ten years from now. We're building this to keep a legacy uh-huh. alive. So, you know, I wouldn't be serving that goal by by paying as little as I can to right. my employees or cutting corners when it comes to the quality of the ingredients mm-hmm. that we use in our coffee. So, I mean, I wouldn't be serving this long-term goal of building legacy by taking shortcuts yeah. throughout. So we, we do what's right, whether it's seen or not, or appreciated or not, we do what's right because what's right for us mm-hmm. to build this vision of legacy. That's awesome. Um, quickly want to talk on your drinks before we kind of close up here because I, I love following you guys on Instagram and seeing just some of the seasonal flavors you come up with. And it's not just, oh, you know, uh, one one syrup in this drink. It's such a unique blend of, of flavors that you put into an already unique uh, coffee. Um, so g- could you just kind of talk a bit about, you know, some of those specialty flavors and, and specialty drinks that you guys offer on a seasonal basis? Absolutely. Yeah. So from the beginning, we started offering, we had a very basic menu, yeah. right? With lattes, cappuccinos, mochas, and mm-hmm. espresso and cold brew. We wanted to bring in new flavors as a way to to get people to try new things and to expand their palates, right? I mean, because we feel like our experience is a little bit of an expansion already, yeah. so why not build up on that and uh, allow people to experience flavors they haven't experienced before. So we started seasonal menus, this was six years ago, well before, you know, it was commonplace and right. in most places. Uh, we started introducing seasonal menus with every season and we have done so consistently over the last six years. Wow. Every season we have five, six drinks that are highly elaborate and beautiful presentation introduced to our community and you know i it's an, another area that i feel responsible for that is under my responsibility because um i like culture i like you know i like unique things i don't want to to get you know the same thing that you can get everywhere else yeah. or that is just like a pump of these a pump of that i didn't grow up with that to me like there's real ingredients we use real ingredients we make everything in house so all the syrups we have like we're we're starting with fresh fruits fresh spices fresh herbs and then we cook everything in house or blend everything in house and make unique syrups mm-hmm. so uh, every season we, it's a joint effort of my team of coming together and brainstorming ideas themes and the direction that we're gonna go uh, but I always have certain requirements for that. And I, I'm not the easiest leader always, but <laughs> I, I'm, I always have challenges, right? That I want to then to think about. I want it to be unique. Yeah. I want it not to have been done before. I don't want an idea that we're simply, you know, picking from somebody else and changing slightly and then introducing. It needs, it needs to be created from within and not from outside from the outside yeah. so they have to come up with me with fresh ideas and it needs to be 
Uh, a lot of times you use Brazilian flavors, Latin flavors. This last uh, menu is about traveling the world since we can't go anywhere during the pandemic. Then we were taking people to faraway destinations of Morocco and, and uh, Persia uh, and uh, France. So we just like introduce all these different flavor so i always have this list of requirements that it needs to be unique and it should be made uh never made before and it should be made with fresh ingredients um and it needs to be delicious so <laughs> that's the process that we navigate through to create the the specialties menu so we're already working on the summer and uh, we have some of our specials that have been offered over the last six years uh -huh. that people love and yeah. continue to ask for we have a coconut cold brew that people go absolutely coconuts for <laughs> <laughs> and they keep asking so we'll bring that back of course but uh but yes we try to always stay at the forefront of yeah. the of the ideas that's awesome and out of all the drinks that you guys have ever offered what would you say is your favorite personal favorite <laughs> well i mean i am a black coffee drinker okay that's what i drink on a day-to-day -day basis i make a pour over that's what i enjoy i like uh -huh. coffee to taste the notes of the coffee without any additives without any any you know anything that could potentially de uh, detract from it so that's what i normally drink i like to drink my family coffee i'm partial to it of course because that's the one i know most yeah. of but i can i can appreciate all these other coffees uh -huh. we have beautiful coffees that we bring directly from other farmers as yeah. well and i know all the hard work that goes into that so i can appreciate those high quality complexities in coffee uh as far as specialty drinks uh right now i'm really enjoying the moroccan latte because it's a beautiful combination of florals and sweetness and and um, um, just uh, really unique and refreshing at the same time. So yeah. I would say the Moroccan right now. But I've had different favorites throughout mm -hmm. the various seasons of the business. Love it, love it. Well, Julia, I feel like we could go on for another hour just asking questions about you and the business um, and just continue to learn from you. But um, we know we have to let you get back to the rest of your day. We know how busy you are. Um, so as we're closing up here, we've got a quick little game that we're going to play with you. <laughs> um, and so how it's going to go is we have a list of 20 questions we're going to ask and okay. you've got a minute on the clock to see how many of them you can answer and we'll Ooh. just, uh, yeah, score you up against the rest of our, uh, our guests we've had on and see how okay, you do. Okay. I have a feeling I'm not going to score so highly, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> and you can go ahead and get us started. on. <laughs> In three, two, one. Your dream vacation. Right now, I... I really want to go to the Caribbean. I've been dreaming of being on the white sand and blue waters. So, okay. First thing you'd buy if you want a million dollars? A farmhouse. I'll build myself a farmhouse. <laughs> Your favorite hobby? <laughs> Yoga. Uh, I practice daily. <laughs> if there was an Olympic competition for everyday activities, what activity would you have a good chance at winning a medal in? Oof. Parenting? <laughs> <laughs> The song you've been jamming to lately. The song? Yeah. Um, I'm a child of the 80s, so I love 80s songs. I would say... Uh, I don't know. Like it's not coming to me in name, but 80s. Anything okay, 80s. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you live to be 100, would you rather have the mind or the body of your prime self? Oh, the mind. Okay. Absolutely. Your favorite holiday? 
We'll let you answer it, but there's our timer. <laughs> Thanksgiving, because I did not grow up with that in Brazil. Yeah. We don't have Thanksgiving, so I love that day just to pause and be thankful. I love it. Awesome. Um, <laughs> Didn't I, do so well on this story, I'm sure. I like to take my time. We appreciated the in-depth answers. <laughs> yeah, we had depth in our answers. That was good. I <laughs> love it. Um, I know we said we were done. I do have one more question. I'm just super curious. In terms of the plan moving forward for Peixoto, um, are you guys happy with your location? Are there plans to continue to grow and expand, or do you guys plan to keep it how it is for now? So I'm glad you like you asked that uh, because we are expanding. So we have a location, second location, in the works. We've wow. had that for a long time. It's something we've been working uh, on for the last three years, actually. Uh, but it's finally coming to life later this year. So That's we're. Awesome. We're putting together architectural plans, design plans, and we're expecting to open our second location in January of 2022 in Gilbert. So not too far from here. Yeah. It's um, it's going to be at Epicenter, which is part of the Agritopia development. Oh, so awesome. part of the Johnston's uh-huh. family development. Yeah. It's going to be a great space with all sorts of local entrepreneurs, um, local, the best of Arizona, as Joe says, at the lower level and then residential on top. So we're very excited to be in that community. That's super exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good luck on that process. We're excited to follow your journey and see uh, see how things go throughout the next year. And um, Why don't you let our listeners know where they can find you guys, either online, social media, as well mm-hmm. as in person, if they want to come uh, try out some of your awesome coffee. Awesome. So our retail location is in downtown Chandler. We're located on the corner of Boston and Arizona Avenue, where everything else is in downtown mm-hmm. Chandler, across the street from City Hall. That's a retail location where we have espresso, uh, kegged beverage, coffee, uh, cold brewed coffee, hot coffees, all the beautiful seasonal beverage that you're referencing uh, earlier today are there for you to enjoy. We're also serving curbside still. So if you are not comfortable coming in, you can place an order online at orders.peixotocoffee.com and we'll bring it out to you or you can just quickly pick up at our shop. We also have wholesale going strong in the background. So we love to partner with local businesses that are looking for a coffee program, uh, big and small. We have, you know, customers that are small coffee shops all the way to large uh, office corporate customers that need coffee for their employees. Uh, for those companies that are bringing employees back, let us know. We'd love to, to help with coffee. And then we also have e-commerce. So for, uh, for those of you who are not local to Gilbert or Chandler, you can order your coffee bags online at peixotocoffee.com. And we have actually created a special code for your listeners. Uh, if you use the code LOCALHUSTLERS10, you will get 10% off your your coffee bags so that's the little special we have going on love it we we ship all over the country as well if you have listeners in other parts of the country awesome awesome good to know okay well julia thanks again so much for coming on um sharing your story and the story of of peixoto company um it's really been fun to to learn more about it so we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come by thank you really enjoyed the conversation for sure all right well everyone thanks for listening and have a good week and we'll catch you all next time Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Just a few things before we go. First off, if you or someone you know is an entrepreneur in the East Valley, we'd love to have you on the show. Please get in touch with us by emailing us at localhustlerspodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at localhustlerspodcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for the latest news and updates. 
Also, if you enjoyed the show, please take a few seconds to rate and review and hit that subscribe button. It lets us know how we're doing and helps us grow so we can reach more locals, entrepreneurs, and help small businesses grow. Thanks, guys.